Hello, fellow time travelers. I am Sasha from the Fiction Paradox Podcast. And I am Skip from the Fiction Paradox Podcast. And I'm Brooke. We're the Fiction Paradox, the only podcast dedicated to the BBC Books 8th Doctor Adventures in the whole world that we know of. You're listening to the Doctor Who Target Book Club Podcast. Enjoy, Enjoy your, your travels. travels. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever get a flash of a memory of a movie you saw as a child but can't remember the name? Perhaps you caught it on TV while staying up later than you should have. Or maybe you never saw it, but you recognize the cover art from the neighborhood video store around the block. At the Video Junkyard Podcast, we dig up these forgotten films and franchises and see if they still hold up in the digital age. You know, one person's trash is another's treasure, something like that. Each episode, hosts Eric Gilbranson and Joe Peterson discuss a number of films selected thematically. We'll be looking at the best, the worst, and the best of the worst at the Video Junkyard Podcast. You are listening to the Doctor Who Target Book Club Podcast. Happy listening. Hello, I am Larry Van Mersbergen, the host of the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. Now that you're reading the Doctor Who Target books in story order and enjoying the thorough discussion of them, maybe you'd like to collect them or even collect the hardcover editions or maybe the Pinnacle American Editions. For all things in the world of Doctor Who merchandise, from books to the Dalek weather vanes and Dalek cufflinks to the really unusual. Tune in to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Podbean. You are listening to the Doctor Who Target Book Club Podcast. Enjoy your travels. Where you want, I would throw it. Hello, darlings. I'm Katie Manning, and I play Joe Grant and Joe Grant Jones in Doctor Who, <laughs> and Iris Wildtime. Hello, lovies. <laughs> and you're listening to Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast. Enjoy your travels, darlings. Bye bye. I'm gonna spend my Christmas with a Dalek. Hello, fellow time travelers, and welcome back to the Doctor Who Target Book Club, the podcast in which we undertake the perennial task of discussing in story order all the Doctor Who novelizations, because perennials, you know, and the holidays, and because we're constantly doing this. <laughs> but that's not what we're doing today. Oh no. Instead, we are taking a kind of break and doing a holiday special, one that doesn't involve Target or books, or in some cases, even Doctor Who. My name is Tony Witt, and today we have an equally perennial three-person discussion panel, including our so-called expert, who's been a Who fan since 1979. That would be me. <laughs> There's our intermediate-level casual fan who's seen several episodes, has not previously read any of the books until these podcasts, and this time it's worthy Dalton Hughes. Hello, Dalton. Hello, hello. And finally, we have our semi-casual and no longer completely perennial fan, one who has seen little to none of the original series, has not previously read any of the books except for the ones we've done for this podcast, and this time around, it's the wise and witty Alison Fitch Seyfried. Hello, Alison. Fa-la-la-la-la. <laughs> exactly but this is for all the holidays not just you know the the big bad one yeah we we are in the middle of hanukkah so we are indeed 
If you like what you're hearing, and I can't imagine you would, please check our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash DWTargetBC. Depending on the amount you give per month, you'll receive such goodies as face masks, mugs, and t-shirts with our logos on them, just as you'd get from giving to BBS, except if you gave to PBS, you'd get the PBS logo, not our logo. But not a Target book, since we know you have so many of those. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to think of something on the fly real quick. You use them to deck your halls? No. (laughs) No. Sorry. Sorry for a lame joke. No, no, this is going to be even lamer. Since we know you have so many of them, you only look at them once a year. Uh (laughs) Just to say thank you for being willing to help us stay on the virtual air. Yeah, that was a pretty lame one. And as usual, we'd like to thank our regular patrons, Bart Lammy, Rick Taylor, Toby Bengelsdorf, Jay Berry, the Video Junkyard Podcast, the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, Hans Wax, Stephen Pickering, James Sumnall, Dave Davis, and Guy Lambert. Thank you all. Thank, thank you. you. That's getting to be quite a list. It is indeed quite a list. And That's they're all going to be getting some goodies for the holidays, except they won't be getting them for three months, but they already know that. Um, <laughs> we also have our Goodreads discussion group where you, the listener, can discuss upcoming books and previous podcasts, except for this one, because I didn't post it. You can find us there at tinyurl.com forward slash Y7KMASPR. In fact, we expect you to. The holidays come but once a year, and once upon a time, this was also true of the Doctor Who annuals. So today we're discussing stories from one of them, specifically the first to feature Tom Baker, the 1976 Doctor Who annual. Without further ado, here are some fast facts. The 1976 Doctor Who Annual, published by World Distributors in September 1975. As of this recording in December of 2020, this title is currently out of print, but is available in PDF format on the DVD release of Genesis of the Daleks, 64 pages. We haven't really talked much about the annuals, mainly because Target had nothing to do with them. They were published every year from 1965 until 1985, with the exception of 1971 for some odd reason, by World Distributors Limited a company that apparently specialized in annuals linked to popular properties. And by the way, as the Doctor Who Collectors podcast would probably point out, there is indeed a 1971 annual, but it's an unofficial one. And it's a little hard to find, but you can get it. They were always published in the autumn, just in time for the holidays, when they'd be given as gifts quite often. Probably very disappointing ones. (laughs) They also did one-off books for the Daleks and for K-9. The annuals always carried a cover date of the upcoming year, kind of like cars do. So the one we're looking at today, the 1976 annual, was published in 1975, which was Tom Baker's first year in the role. Because it was published in September of 1975, just before Terror of the Zygons began airing, Harry is still in the stories. Also, the illustrators were given little to no photo references, which is why Sarah and Harry look nothing like themselves. And Tom Baker's illustrations are mostly John Pertwee ones that have been retraced to look like Baker. So, yeah, that's why he looks so odd. Yeah. There are also some comics in these. We're going to be looking at two print stories in one of the comics. The comic art is interesting, to say the least. And it has been noted many times that the stories in the annuals often bear little resemblance to the show itself. 
And also this one, this uh, 1976 annual, for some reason, was also released in Dutch. I'm not quite hmm. sure why. And I don't know if I have a copy of it. I think I might. When John Nathan Turner took over as producer of the show in 1980, he insisted on a tighter connection between the annuals and the show, and as a result, those later ones are a marked improvement. Unfortunately, they ended production before the show did. In the 1990s, Marvel Comics UK secured the license to produce similarly formatted Doctor Who yearbooks, which were dated from 1991 to 1996, despite the fact that only a few new stories were actually produced in the 1990s. We had the two radio plays, we had the TV movie, and we had the abomination, which is Dimensions in Time. <laughs> Since the beginning of the new series in 2005, publications similar to, or even called annuals, have been produced by Panini, BBC Children's Books, and IDW. All right, so I ask each of us to choose a story from the 1976 annual, which we would then all read and discuss. So let's start with the first of the three. Dalton, we're going to start with the hospitality on Hankus, <laughs> which you chose. What is the story about, and why did you choose it? <laughs> Planet of Giants, part two. Um, <laughs> right where Alice and I... Uh, started you know four mm. years ago together oh yeah it really um, is that isn't true. it yeah that was the mm -hmm. first story we did together so basically this story starts with harry and sarah and the doctor in the tardis being kind of thrown around as it's making its way through something it, it doesn't we're not really sure what it is something gelatinous it seems like come to find out they have been miniaturized whenever they were going through the time vortex. So they first ended up in one of the creatures from the planet's mouth. He spits them out and gets and they get eaten by a lobster. And he the the creature who initially spat them out catches the lobster <laughs> on a fishing pole and then they materialize real size once he spits them up. <laughs> And this is all because they're on their way to visit the doctor's old friends on Hankus. Yeah. And he somehow miscalculated and had them materialize in miniature. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, silly. Silly premise. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> yes. Where do we start with this one, apart from the fact that the premise is just too damn silly? Of the stories we had to choose from, I saw Hospitality and I thought, oh, they will... They will be meeting a new um, a new species, or possibly, which was the case, a species the Doctor has uh, encountered before, and we will see the ways of, of them. But in actuality, the hospitality is uh, a, a misgiving. It's, it's, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's not really hospitable at all. Yes, much like the whole story is a misgiving. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> And yet, it's by far the best one we read, I thought. Really? Oh, yeah. I, I oh, liked yeah. it. Of all of them, I liked this one the most. Okay. Yeah, I could kind of see that. Yeah, you, you picked the uh, long straw on that one, didn't you? Yeah, and, and, and yeah, and I didn't know anything about any of them. I just went by the title alone, so. Right. Do we know who the writers of any of these are, Tony? We do not. At least we don't know who the writers are for 
the ones during the 70s, I couldn't find anything. I do know that the very first annual was written almost exclusively by David Whitaker. So <laughs> one day we'll have to go back and see what wonders and joy that one has for us. But <laughs> it's actually, believe it or not, that much better than this. <laughs> I think the ones in the 80s are slightly better, but I still don't know who the authors are. So now this is somebody just working along for a children's book publisher and not knowing much about the series that they were writing about and writing a story about it. But this was the most like the novels that we have been reading in terms of the style and the structure. Mm -hmm. Like if you told me Terrence Dick for this, I would totally believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean that as a slam, but no, no. no. Yeah. that's true. This is actually what I thought the whole annual would be like. These sort of like little vignette stories like this. Yes, you're right. This could happen in oh, not any sci-fi, but many different sci-fis. Yeah. It wasn't that particular to them. But I, I actually didn't see the surprise ending coming. And I didn't try either. Uh, but, but I was actually finding these random little vignettes of the alien child, you know, going fishing to be quite kind of delightful. Like when he's <laughs> styling his antennae in the, in the mirror because his dad says to look his best. Like, I have no idea where this is going, but it's fun. Yeah, it is. And he's in a totally different little, totally different sort of gentle little coming of age story. Oh, yeah. While they're off getting eaten. <laughs> they're off getting eaten on their way to dinner with friends. <laughs> which which is what strikes me as so cute. It's completely out of character, of course, but the, the doctor stays at people's houses on other planets when he's not going yes. on adventures. Yeah, that's kind of nice. Yeah, that's kind of sweet in its own way. And the illustration style was interesting. We have a painting on the first page, but two of the four other ones have an interesting style that's sort of scratchboard tracing a photograph maybe yeah. is how i would describe it yeah. which isn't how a scratch board would work but i thought it was an interesting style oh it's definitely i was gonna say the the style is kind of dark it's it's a, a little german expressionism just very yes stark and just yeah see kinda... i was thinking french science fiction like the uh, artist mobius you mean for the whole, are you both talking about the whole annual or this story? The whole sure. annual, in my case, I, I, especially the comic stories, I thought could have been printed in the pages of Epic Illustrated and they wouldn't have looked out of place. Well, and I was thinking as I went through this of how you would actually assemble something like this in the age of razor blades and paste and some things printed on transparencies to overlay text onto illustrations and then, you know four-color separator camera and how some of these pages would be very simple layouts like the opening page here where you just have three elements but you would have you would paste four different items there the the, the three columns and the header and the illustration but some of these others are like the puzzling planets page would be logistically interesting to see the original pages yeah, and this is going to be exciting to kids at the time. I know that I'm bashing it, obviously, but that's in hindsight. I'm sure that if I'd been a kid in 1975 wanting this for Christmas, I probably would have been delighted to have it. I'm delighted to look at it. It's just yeah. that I was obliged to read part of it, but it looks great. <laughs> yeah, this is this is much better than the highlights I had to read as a kid. So, Oh, goodness. Yeah, well, <laughs> anything's better than that. We had, for tally, tally marks, Doctor Who was used as a phrase four times. I think it's all, or oh, five. Yeah. I think it's always Jin Ka uh, thinking about Doctor Who will be here soon, who's a kid. Unlike one of the others where Doctor Who was used, I think, five times just mm -hmm. by the writer. Yeah, which makes me think it was probably separate writers doing some of these. Oh, yeah. It probably was yeah, one yeah. person, to be honest. 
they don't seem to have much of a grasp on the TARDIS, though, do they? No. Because there are chairs fixed <laughs> to the floor of the TARDIS, yeah. which sounds like a terrible hazard. <laughs> well, and at the same time, you don't want them sliding around. <laughs> no, which is why the seats have straps, like the sort found in a spaceship. And uh, I think it's awfully amusing that they end up on the ceiling at one point and the doctor's just hanging, hanging around up there, yeah. watching them bounce around the room, possibly getting, you know, broken limbs and all that from the chairs that are actually fixed to the floor. There is a hearty serving of sexual imagery. Yes, in, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the whole annual. So that's why they didn't expect this one to all resolve and like uh, to be a child snack and fishing trip. There were noises of every description coming from inside. Wet noises, dry grinding noises, deep rumbles, loud sharp crunches, squeals, groans, and bangs were all sounding together. So I didn't think that would be a kid eating a fruit. Well, <laughs> especially when they describe what the creature looks like from the TARDIS crew's point of view, which is a heaving, quivering, headless mass of thickly <laughs> veined flesh. Veined flesh, yeah. yes. Yes. <laughs> The best kind of flesh. Yes, with a hyphen after thickly. But yeah, a thickly veined flesh. Oh, I love a hyphen. <laughs> I would have put that hyphen back in if you might had edited it out. Okay. What's also bizarre is they seem to think they're writing for Joe Grant because yeah. Sarah Jane starts screaming hysterically and the doctor goes over to slap her, but then gets distracted. <laughs> yeah. God. You know, I have this written down here because we've seen this a couple of other books. I mean, you know, I was born in 79, so it's a little before my time, but did slapping used to be a common form of first aid in real life or is it just <laughs> something from, you know, fiction of the time? Because it's not just Doctor Who did this. Used to be a common strategy. <laughs> Given that I haven't been slapped since the 1970s or 80s, yeah, I, I think it, pro it, it as a trope, it's definitely more common. I, I'm just curious if it's exclusively a trope or if it's something people actually did at the time. I really hope they didn't. <laughs> but yeah, I I guess there there was the feeling that if you slap somebody across the face, then that would calm them down. It's like... No, it shocks them into not crying quite so heavily, but they are still upset. <laughs> they start pulling it together to plot their revenge. It's just exactly. offering another stimulus. So. Right, exactly. We will be having a story from the main range coming up where one of the Doctor's companions does this to a minor character. Uh, but I like that it was balanced out by Sarah thinking she'd knock him down if he didn't stop treating her like a piece of quaint, mindless pottery. Which yes. is a memorable phrase. That is not a cliche. Stop treating me like quaint, mindless pottery. Yeah, that's, that does sound very much like Sarah and Harry. Though, <laughs> there is the line after this happens. Sarah was a little prickly. Although neither the doctor nor Harry had mentioned her outburst, it's like, oh, for heaven's sake, really? Uh, do you have to bring it up again? Yeah, <laughs> she starts screaming, screaming, and almost gets slapped, and, yet, and now she's This is the up. third that I read of the three, and it was by far the least misogynistic, so I think I barely even <laughs> noticed. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely talk about that on yours, I'm sure. So Dalton, out of five stars, how many would you give this story? <laughs> Um, uh, two. <laughs> okay. 
Which doesn't bode well for the other stories. Okay, but, uh, if it was the best, true. If it was the best. But yeah, and it, it, it's not particularly memorable. There's not anything super special about it to me. But given that, like you said, these are really kind of written for kids and, and used as like a Christmas present or gift. Yeah, as a kid I would have I would have eaten this up. I would have loved the fact that I could jump into this world for, you know, the the 5 to 10 minute read that it is um and get a little bit of a new adventure out of uh Doctor Who. But it's the, the writing is not the worst thing in the world, but again, it's just it's not super special to me. So, okay. a 2. All right, Allison. I'd go with a 2 also, but I actually mean that as a positive thing. It's it's about the right length. You know, it's it's a little gimmick story. It's at least like fat, thin, uh, thick, for better and for worse, the most like professional product. But it's a, it's a fun story. And I, I'm sorry, I'm distracted by the concept of someone giving the sinister sponge to a child now. Uh, of what we read, <laughs> it is by far the most all ages appropriate <laughs> because only adult, an adult is going to be, uh, or a teen is going to be chortling over the sexy descriptions we were talking about earlier, whereas we're going to get into some darker stuff <laughs> oh, yes. in the other stories. So yeah, I'll go too. That's true. And I would give it a two as well. Like you said, it's it's the most innocuous of the three. The fact that it's Planet of Giants 2 Electric Boogaloo doesn't exactly <laughs> endear it to me, but it certainly is Yeah, better that was 95 pages. This is... Yeah. <laughs> Remember, I actually kind of thought Planet of the Giants was fun because I was expecting it to be so terrible, and everything I read before this was so terrible. So I have such low expectations for both of these. They actually seemed nice to me. Okay. Well, speaking of low expectations, let's go with Allison's story, Neuronic <laughs> Nightmare. Oh my, my biography. <laughs> in this case, the TARDIS ends up in neuronic space. Harry disappears briefly. When he returns, so does a creature named a Schizos? Schizos? Schizer? Yes. Schizos. Uh, Schizos, is that yes. it? Um, Who yeah. says he wants to enslave the TARDIS crew to breed them. And drain his race's excess neuronic energy into them, which will eventually kill them. They try to do this with Sarah, but Harry and the Doctor stop it. And Harry is revealed to be another neuron from a group that has found another way to siphon off their excess energy. So Harry actually isn't in much of the story at all, which is the big reveal. The twist. Yes. (sighs) What do we have to say about this one? Well, I picked it based on the pretty pictures and colors because I don't know how else to pick stories out of a list of stories I haven't actually read without reading them all. And I was in exams, I didn't have time to read them all to pick one out. But when I was first looking at it, I thought the color saturations were lovely. So I would just scroll through it. I'm like, okay, someone went a little crazy with the orange marker and it's going to have, needs to have their access privileges revoked. But there are some... There are some striking images in here. And like I said, I love how vibrant and saturated the colors are. So that's why I picked it. And I wanted to pick one of the comics. And I started to read the other comic. And both of these sent me back to a childhood reverie I have returned to several times as an adult. Because when I was first learning to read, this kind of stuff was like 10 years old. So this kind of material is the sort of thing that older kids had sitting around. And I would try to read it and decide I was stupid and didn't understand stories because it was so hard to follow. 
Uh, Related to this, I saw an episode of He-Man about 10 years ago and realized I was not a stupid child, that He-Man doesn't make any sense. (laughs) (laughs) It is quite narratively hard to follow. It is weird and dystopic the way they start, they show you like the same vanishing walking sequence. I don't know how to describe that over and over again, where you have like the repeated scrolling. Anyway, I felt the same way about these two comics. I started to read the first page of the other comic. And what was so striking is the disconnect between what you're reading and then the expressions you see on the faces, like the dialogue being delivered or what's actually going on. And it's still confusing to me. So I I felt a a little like I had been not as dumb a child as I felt at the time. (laughs) But it was a similar experience of you're drawn in by the images and then you start reading it. It's so hard to follow. You just feel like, well, maybe it's because I don't know the characters or I don't know the context or they're referring to something I don't understand. And now I know enough context to read this and it, no, there's just, it's it's almost like someone has no familiarity whatsoever with Doctor Who. That would be correct. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so, so, so all that to get me to selecting it. So every, all three that we read have a very similar start. They've landed on a planet and they're trying to figure out what's going on. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. And by the end, they do so. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I'm with Allison. I had a lot of trouble following what was happening. The layout of the text and the action on the page was really difficult at points to, to, to follow. The, a lot of the, the text kind of jumped around all over. So it was, it was not very straightforward. The images themselves, again, are very vibrant and, again, kind of expressionistic. The schizo sky almost looks like he's on fire in, in a lot of the drawings, kind of like Ghost Rider or something. I actually wrote down cut-rate Johnny Blaze styles his flaming skull by introducing different trace metals to generate colors. And I looked this up. So when he's green, I think he was using borax or copper. And yellow, he uh, put a little sodium in his hair. Mm. Yeah. I actually have German expressionist written down, so apparently Dalton and I should just live together now. <laughs> we have a brain that we share. <laughs> the the fact that Harry has a porn stash. Yes. <laughs> I just watched Uncle Frank on Prime, and I'm like, well, I was impressed uh, at the time how period perfect uh, the styling was of the set and the people, and uh, I relived that whole thing in one or two panels. <laughs> I also noticed that Sarah looks different in every single panel she appears in. I have a whole page of notes to inflict upon you. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> but I, I, I want Dalton to continue first. I don't have much else to say. It was uh, the the story itself. I'm I'm still kind of baffled by. You're going to clone people because what was what was the phrase that they used? They're, they they he says like they have a high unit. Oh, <laughs> yes. If your unit is high, we may spare you to breed you on the farm. Now, imagine you just gave this to your grandchild and they ask, what is a high unit and breeding on a farm? <laughs> and they take it away and say you can't have it again until you're yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why is the lady covered in blood? Why doesn't she have any skin? Yeah, so... It, uh, yeah, I'm trying to understand. Is it like they're basically trying to get a a body? 
Well, like they're they need the a physical form energy dumps because they can't just drain off into anything other than a living creature. But maybe they'll clone the humans to have more energy dumps. Maybe they'll breed them. They haven't decided. And it all depends on how many zams of neuronic energy they can absorb if their unit is high enough. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it has lovely atmosphere when you're looking at it, but you mustn't read it. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that regard, it shares something in common with Space 1999, because it reminded me of a Space 1999 story in the same way that it kind of has similar plotting. And yeah, it's better if you just look at it, but don't try to read the plot. Well, like the recurring circles motif on the last and the next to last page is lovely. As you see, like the circles are sometimes you know, planet, sometimes halo effect around a light, sometimes lights in the background of the TARDIS. There's some terrific design in here. Mm -hmm. But then you try to form it into a coherent narrative whole and... You're, you mean W-H-O-L-E, and instead it's a narrative whole, H-O-L-E. <laughs> well, especially since it kind of ends up in a hole, doesn't it? It just kind of stops rather than ends. Because we have the Doctor, the last panel, if it is indeed the last panel, it's hard to tell with the way this is laid out. Yes, yes. With the Doctor trying to figure out how to escape from neuronic space, it's like, well, I guess he did it, because we don't ever hear about it again. Thank God. Yeah. And we have the unforgivable line in here. Why not? I'm Doctor Who. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right after he has said, ah, so you have decided to come out. And it's like, of course I've decided to come out. <laughs> Just odd. I will say this. One of the panels makes Tom Baker look more like Colin Baker. Hmm. And I think it's because of the way his bouffant or his afro is done and the coloring of his suit. It just looks very much like Colin Baker, but we're a little too early for that. Oh. <laughs> Got a whole alternative sequence here that mostly follows Sarah from panel to panel, but some other highlights along the way. Okay. First panel, so starting on page 40, uh, first panel, she is glamorously bored and blasé. And then by the second one, she is skinless and chinless and very distressed. <laughs> yeah. Like they have photo reference, but not of someone. They have photo reference of a lot of different women who don't <laughs> resemble one another. It reminds me of Carrie. <laughs> Yes, 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 very much so. And then the next page, 41, they do the same marker job on, I guess it's Neroid Harry. Neroid? Neroid Harry? Mm -hmm. Johnny Cash there in the upper left-hand corner. I think this is the doctor. But we've got third panel of Sarah's in the middle of the page. She is basically now Lewis Violet Beauregard and vomiting oh. some kind of black bile under the floor. Oh, so by the f next panel she's in, at the bottom of the page, apparently she's gone and changed because she was covered in blood and bile, and now she's... <laughs> has kind of like a relaxed... Uh, it's in the 70s, so I guess we should say co-ed look there. So she's wearing the... a crop top. Is she? Yes. Oh, you're right. Okay. Oh, Lord. Yes, she I didn't is. even notice that. You're right. That's There's definitely navel. And then, like, Nesferatu is in the background. There. So you get distracted from the crop top. No. Oh, yes, this is where we have if your unit is so high, we may spare you to breed in the pens. And then on the next page, we have, well, yeah, well, now he's gone from Nesferatu to Johnny Blaze and he's applying the copper and 
borax and then the beatles in the middle but like <laughs> left 70s beetle and the right 60s beetle and I, I find the tornado fire pen to be pretty striking there much yeah. reaction that's going on sarah is not here what could she be doing next page 43 she was so bored she went to the hairdressers and got a shag <laughs> yeah i got her hair cut and styled into a shag yeah and th my very favorite part of the of the comic not ironically it's on this page when the doctor basically asks what's going to happen to the human to the fire tornado pen you know who he's keeping for breeding and he looks so bored with this eye roll and he says they die of course <laughs> <laughs> should probably make that an, an avatar of mine on some social media site <laughs> once again sort of striking hand sequence here that's a lot less effective here reading it a six panel sarah is sorry rummaging around in the closet for a an asbestos jacket to go with i guess the scarf <laughs> that she's wearing seventh panel now we're to page 44 she's complaining that this drunken hairdresser was already putting on her new extensions wrong and then he just staggered <laughs> over the porch rail and now he won't budge and could you help me move him <laughs> <laughs> note the full shirt here and then she's lost part of it by panel number eight there yeah. and the hair extensions just fell out because he didn't apply them correctly <laughs> ninth panel she's just straight up geraldine fitzgerald from dark victory um <laughs> And last page found out that this Harry, Paul Bettany Harry is a neuroid and actually lovely sequence there of, of his transformation. Obviously, I'm a sucker for a transformation sequence painting like that. At the bottom, we find out he's been carnival barking, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> the only, only way I can explain that jacket. So, the striped uh, blue, a blue and black jacket. Yeah. Yeah. And then the lower left-hand corner is basically Teenage Me, is how Sarah's portrayed. So scrolling back up here, there's one uh, note I, I didn't get to on page 41. Uh, apparently, Klansmen are carrying the TARDIS across the desert. <laughs> <laughs> oh lord and the words of forrest gump that's all i got to say about that and i just realized harry's wearing a cross on Which page harry? yeah harry on page 41 he's right above the clansman taking the tardis across the mm -hmm. desert he's oh, wearing yeah. a cross on a pendant well he's also got no eyes nope. <laughs> and covered in blood as well so i Maybe between 40 and 41, there's some kind of religious iconography <laughs> that we haven't quite <laughs> sussed out where Mary Magdalene and St. Sebastian or oh, something. God. Well, tis the season. <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh, what do we give this one? <laughs> Dalton, what would you give this one out of five? <laughs> I want to rank it higher now with all the commentary from Allison. <laughs> well, I wrote my own story, you see. <laughs> um, More entertaining than the board we got. <laughs> from an artistic standpoint, I would give this like a four. I enjoy the visuals. It is so striking and insane. And I don't know what the hell is going on. But from, uh, from the writing, from the story, the text... I would give this a, like a one <laughs> because I, I still can't really make heads or tails of what is actually happening. I almost wonder if this was written in some sort of modified Marvel style. 
Probably, probably. And by a, a writer and an artist who were just not at all on the same wavelength. And someone came up with the basic story of, all right, they land on a planet and humans there are enslaved by some kind of energy-sucking creatures. And Harry actually is one of the energy-sucking creatures in disguise and is revealed at the end. Draw me eight pages or however long this is, six pages. How many stars did you give it? I am so confused. I don't remember how numbers work. <laughs> well, and even the art, like some of it is so lovingly rendered, but like we'll talk about those two martyr illustrations. It's like some of the colorist really, really liked some of the panels and others just were enraging <laughs> and were assaulted with color. So even even the art, some some parts that are so lovely and some parts that are just sort of savaged. I'm going to look at the last page here and say the lower third of that last page is going to give it a second star. Oh. Two stars and they're 100% for the illustrations. Okay. All right. I'm seeing the art as being very similar to the black and white Warren magazines of the mid-70s, except this probably should have stayed in black and white because all of those different color tones just kind of put me off and then the story itself is enough to put me off for sure so i'm giving this one a 0.5 <laughs> i really do not like this one at all no indeed not a fan which brings us to <laughs> my own choice the sinister sponge oh, i'm glad God. you take responsibility <laughs> i do i do let me tell everybody what this one's about the Doctor and Company land on the planet Spectro to visit the Inscruta, which is a race of aliens with extra ears for reasons that don't bear repeating. Sarah is kidnapped by, and I'm not kidding, a giant floating sponge when they arrive. With the help of an Inscrut named Elkinor, they discover that the sponge has infected the men with the disease and has taken control of the women. In the end, they discover the sponge was just lonely and dying, and it didn't mean it. They cure the women of their domineering nature, but their planet has been changed for good. Yeah. <laughs> Where do we start with this one? <laughs> um. <laughs> this is encouraging. Oh. Yeah. Starring Clark Gable. That's the first thing I wrote down. Okay. A thicker mustache. <laughs> well, Allison, you said something about misogyny, and I figured you were referring to this story, so... Let's talk about that, shall we? Well, wonderful, lush, vibrant illustrations on the first three pages. So I, I actually loved that first page. Just the design of the page and the watercolor saturations. And I thought it was much more some sort of like kind of soul-sucking scenario here where the, the two figures on the right are sort of, you know, like having energy sucked out of them. Maybe they're in the, the breeding pens or something. <laughs> and the second page is well, terrific watercolor wash and once again go back to that childhood phenomenon of you know, thinking you can't wait to read something and then you read it and it seems to have no connection with what's on the page third page is a terrific yellow hulk still <laughs> yeah still great color i still think a terrific piece fourth page i don't know why Kristen wig is so upset but still a striking design even though it's hard to to read <laughs> and the fifth page, they're just possessed. <laughs> <laughs> That's my first impression of just scrolling through, just sort of counting pages of the art. Okay. It's just like maniacal. And yeah, those are my first impressions before I read anything. All right. Dalton, what did you think of it? 
initially we were on a planet. They see this this sponge thing flying towards them. It takes Sarah. We we get a planet that we've seen before that has carnivorous plants, vines that that snatch at people and try to pull them off to eat them. <laughs> but then we come to the cabbage patch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh yeah, I, I just, I just lost it. Um, <laughs> I, I couldn't take it seriously after that. Cabbages have this effect on you. <laughs> I just, just the, just the idea of hiding in a giant cabbage. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Um, but yeah, the the idea that the sponge itself was traveling through space and got st- struck with some particles that then started to make it kind of mutate and uh, just change genetically, yeah. which then made it come here. And it had an effect on the men differently than the women. That's the bit that kind of left me high and dry because obviously I wasn't going to take any of this seriously. But the yeah. fact that the sponge is using something called Femazonian Aeropathy, which somehow, for some reason, they're made up of equal numbers of male and female hormones, and it affects the hormones of people around it, so it caused the men to get weaker, and the women to get more, uh, I'm going to use a word very specifically here, more strident. (sighs) Loud and naggy. Yes. Thank you. Shrill. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Do you you can kind of read a terrible, terrible subtext to this one, can't you? It's not a subtext, actually. <laughs> I thought at first. So like at first I have like Doctor Who in quotes and then tally marks. I should write down. I got I think five Doctor Who's in there. It's like capital D, capital W is a proper noun. The next thing I have written down after <laughs> things about art is sexual anxiety flower. And I thought, I'm just being a <laughs> giggling adult here. I just, you know, sort of reading things in for fun. And then the next thing I've written down is parental safety cabbage. And I thought, <laughs> okay, maybe I'm not just reading things in with, what was it? That 90s book, Politically Correct Fairy Tale, oh, where everything in Rapunzel is a phallic image. Yes. <laughs> I, I was just kind of doing that in a giggling way. And I like, we get to the cabbage, okay. Maybe I'm not just amusing myself by putting in things that probably aren't there. And then we get to emasculation sponge. I'm like, <laughs> F, is this a story about hormonal birth control? <laughs> Which I don't think the sponge is. I don't know, actually. I think that might be spermicide or something. I actually think it's a story about birth control, about hormonal birth control. Like, I don't think I'm just being silly. I think it is. No, I think you're right. Yeah, but using the sponge-based contraceptive, but it's actually discussion of hormones. Uh, the Femazor brand sponge <laughs> does actually have some marketing potential. <laughs> okay, so let's, I don't, I, I would have been writing all night if I transcribed all the relevant passages here. But the sponge is evil until it's done something wrong. And but okay, so, so the sponge, sorry, so for those of us who are fortunate enough not to have read this... <laughs> I feel like we should have some excerpt here or 
condensation of the effect the sponge has on the female. Yes, please. Oh, no, it's the, four, cause the first three pages, I was still grooving on the art. And the fourth page, I'm like, well, you know, it's not, not user-friendly design, but it's striking page design. Mm-hmm. And then the content began to show. I think you're talking about Alcalor's explanation of what happened. Yes, yes, I am. (laughs) It was around this time that our wives and daughters began to harass us, began to question our judgment and authority. They would hold mass meetings in the council buildings and cause a great noise that was most distressing for us because they don't like loud noises, especially shrill loud noises. While they seemed to get less and less sensitive to sound, we males could hardly bear to hear a pin drop. Man, you could do a whole doctoral thesis on that paragraph. Oh, yeah, and the next one. Unlike, harassing us is equated with questioning our judgment and authority. They are interchangeable. The unbearable noise is women gathering and talking. And yet, in the same way that what's-his-face, the same way that Lovecraft displays his own racist neuroses, yes. it makes it seem pretty undesirable. Uh, this is actually a, a pretty entertaining description of how incredibly oversensitive the males become. <laughs> and I bear to hear a hen drop. Uh, a pen drop. Oh, Freudian slip there. Can I bear to hear a hen drop? Sorry. I'm sorry. I was making a noise when you were trying to speak. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I hope I didn't injure you too badly. No, no. I'm used to being harassed by now. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say the next paragraph does exactly the same thing. One of the males discovered that the women had been harboring a giant sponge sponge. in the council hall (laughs) and were communicating telepathically with it. When we objected to this, because we object to the harboring of sponges, don't you know, they drove us from the city with a ceaseless barrage of chattering and shouting and loud bangings and asking us how work was and what we wanted to eat and all of that. And we've lived here in this patch ever since. They were discussing politics. They'd formed some sort of society. Don't they know that harboring a sponge is a class two felony in this state? (laughs) Oh, God. It's just, yeah. I wonder if the person who wrote this had some kind of childhood memory of cabbage being comfort food. Oh, God. But, yeah, but they're like so they're like being consumed by early in the the story. Our heroes are being consumed by this sort of genitally ambiguous flower that seems mostly feminine, but it has some androgynous characteristics. And then we have you know finding shelter in the parental cabbage, where I actually thought it was something about the terror of adult sexuality and <laughs> sort of retreating to the safe feelings of childhood. And I'm kind of making it up, but not entirely here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I agree, especially when they when they describe the sponges themselves, and the doctor says it is said that the Femazonians are born mad and grow to sanity. But the truth is that they are born amoral and oversensitive. <laughs> it's like, what? I have mapped this like in like a chart, like <laughs> left mad and the contrast grow to sanity. But no, the actual situation is, here's what the young bitches be. Amoral and oversensitive. Because remember, they're all oversensitive and hormone, because they don't know how to control their hormones. Yeah. Uh, honey, you're not crazy. You're amoral and oversensitive. Uh, you must learn which reflexes and thought patterns to discard and which to develop, which actually isn't the worst adolescent description. Uh, you know, puberty. No, you're not going crazy. 
<laughs> you're experiencing new things. You have to learn what uh, reflexes and thought patterns to discard and which to develop. That's not terrible, except for the context in which it's presented makes it the worst thing I've read in a long yes, time. Yes, and one of those new things will probably require a sponge at some point. <laughs> yes, but notice that the... Yeah. Uh, the sponge becoming virtuous happens when the sponge is basically saying, well, I came, hormones were out of whack. Yeah, but why did you manipulate the population like this? <laughs> well, I don't really know what's going on. And then the doctor threatens her. With a mouse. With some kind of, <laughs> yeah, with a, well, threatens her. And then the sponge was quiet. Like, that's the solution to the problem. You know, I just threatened the hormonal bitch and, you know. <laughs> Then she'll become good and virtuous and be quiet. Yeah, it's like it's like out of a fifty sitcom, isn't it? The doctor dipped into his pocket and produced a mouse-like creature. The sponge shrank back with a high-pitched sound. If there had been a chair for it to get up on, it would have done so. I'm surprised there's not a spanking in here. Oh God! Uh, probably yeah. Sponge is a so to summarize, a sponge <laughs> is a lonely hormonal wreck <laughs> who stumbled into too much power. <laughs> is what the sponge is. Gets doc-splained. Uh, and then we know the sponge has reformed because she cries and apologizes in contrition and self-awareness of her weakness and stupidity the last thing i have written down is thanks tony <laughs> no problem <laughs> sad part is i didn't know any of this was in here when i chose it but i think i would have chosen I would have, it anyway. I would actually i think it's the initial one i picked just like looking at the illustrations before you said you picked it I'm like oh i guess i'll pick something else it looks ravishing on the first three pages except for that last one the last page which has tom baker in a very undoctorish outfit standing beside what looks like caroline Satan? no caroline monroe <laughs> after a bad facelift and for some reason in the background magnum pi is uh, sitting in the back smoking <laughs> I don't blame anyone wanting to smoke after that story. Doctor has a very bad hair yeah. color job. Oh, yeah. Does he ever. Oh, God. Well, and also, completely different <laughs> illustration style. I assume different illustrator. I could be wrong. Page layout. Someone just kind of went in uncaring with a razor and didn't even bother to use any kind of straight-edge guide. It's, it is actually very fitting for the story, the way the visual design digresses on that last text packed page <laughs> i'd say so because it kind of shifts into a completely different plane by the time it gets to that page oh dear god <laughs> so what grade would we give this out of five stars dalton what would you give this one out of five stars <laughs> <laughs> and point five i'm not even i th i thought yeah this was just ridiculous um no no saving grace just yeah tell this one <laughs> she's been bad and send her back to her room without dinner it's okay she didn't understand what she was doing she was overcome with hormones and yeah. she was given too much power God. no i know allison out of five what would you give this <sighs> i'm still trying to work out 4.5 for illustration. Am I allowed to go negative 6 for story? <laughs> yes. I think we can uh, for this time. Well, but like I said, the, the first three illustrations, even that fourth page, are, are, are lovely. 
and um, everything you, well, everything you want actually in an annual like this are those kinds of sort of illustrations that spark the imagination because they're things you cannot do in just a prose novel and on the screen. It's really using the medium to have these imaginative images. So, my goodness. <laughs> I, I just, uh Yeah. I'm the story I'm going to give a 0.5 and yet it's once again it should be looked at and not read. I agree. I would like the Dutch version. Can we have the Dutch copy of I this? I doubt that the Dutch version would have improved <laughs> it much. I'll have to take a look and see if I have it and then No, but I I can't read Dutch is my point. I I can read a little, <laughs> so I I need to check it to see if it if it holds up in translation. I somehow don't think it holds up in English. Yeah. This one, I would give a point two. It's the sort of thing that if it had come in as a student paper, I would have given it a D for defort. <laughs> it exists. It, it takes up space. It is composed roughly of English words. And those words are strung together to form what appear to be sentences. But at that point... Everything oh goes completely wrong, and it ends up being not what it set out to be, but instead what it turned out to be, which isn't a Doctor Who story. Oh, God, this is, mm -mm. yeah, this is pretty abysmal. So, yes, point two stars for the Sinister Sponge. Well... <laughs> This is something we'll have to do every year, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Definitely, I'm definitely glad to have scrolled through it. I like the infographics, the hand-drawn crossword. Mm -hmm. um, it's a joy to flip through, and it caused me to anticipate it with pleasure, which is really how you set your trap. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this, that was well my, my sinister trap with my sinister It's like the double page spread here, the moonstruck galaxy of stars. That's... Uh. Uh, and then the, 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 the white text on black, black text on white. Like I said, thinking about doing all of this manually and in camera and overlays and razor blades and paste. And, and then it's in English. Yes. One of these days, if we're ever lucky enough to see each other in person again, we've got to play that board game that is in the very middle of the annual. I was just going to say, it actually looks really fun. It does. And silly. <laughs> and silly. Very silly. Especially the winged horses appear part. Yes. Uh, um, the maze of madness. Yes. Pulled by space bees. Yeah. <laughs> the second page of Fit to be an Astronaut also has some quite lovely illustrations. A terrific design by the illustrator. And then uh, speaking of drunken hairdressers, someone came in with some paste and put and placed the columns without yeah. loving care. I love how there's two pages about astrology. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, there is. One commentator in the completely useless Doctor Who encyclopedia, I'm hoping I'm getting that right, once described the annuals as they had text pieces that explained such stimulating facts as, did you know that the sun is quite hot? <laughs> <laughs> it definitely has that feeling to it. Yeah. Definitely created an item of desire. You would look at it, thumb through it. And think, oh, I'm going to get this for my niece or nephew. Or, oh, I'm going to take this home and read it. Like, it's it's wonderful marketing. Yeah. And I, it's amazing that these go for as much money as they do these days. 
because they some of them are highly collectible, especially that odd 1971 with the pink. ephemera. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> let's just say the, the more modern annuals, we could probably read and enjoy even as adults. Whereas these, uh, they're enjoyable, but for a very different reason. Well, it has that weird mix of content where you wonder, what age person is this for? Yeah. yeah. Like, I understand there's, I'm overgeneralizing, but a, a lot of 70s sci-fi stuff is trippy with a lot of sexual imagery. But... I don't know how much a teen would enjoy this book. Probably not at all. It's completely incomprehensible for children and inappropriate. But I, I, I guess I get the, my question is, who is the, the target audience for completely disjointed fiction that doesn't make any sense and has sexual imagery, but also childlike simplicity? Like, I, I cannot imagine the target audience who's like, yes, this is the best thing I've ever read. I loved that story. <laughs> no, probably not. I I know that there are some stories from the annuals that are looked back on with fondness, but those tend to be either from the earliest annuals or from the later annuals. From this era, I tend not to hear very good things, and now we know why. And are the annuals considered canon? Are they considered no. something that's part of... No. Okay. Oh, goodness, no. As a matter of fact, well, kind of backslid canon. I'll I'll go <laughs> off on a tangent here for a minute. He slid backwards out of the barrel of the canon. Well, here's the thing. They're kind of considered... Uh, they're not considered canon in the same way that... The comic strips are not considered canon because the ones from the 1960s tended to feature the Doctor and his two grandchildren, John and Jillian. And I, I don't remember if they were just in the comic strips or whether they were actually in the annuals, but... Uh. A lot of serials and properties like this have this, this weird territory of ephemera that's between canon and fanfic. Someone was paid to prepare licensed material. Yeah. Yeah. But it didn't really happen. But of course, none of it really did. And you'll have conflicts within the canon material, but it's just a sort of weird middle ground. Yeah. It's official, but it's not canon. Exactly. And that's true of the newer annuals, too. Even the stories that Stephen Moffat himself has written. As a matter of fact, one interesting tidbit before we wrap this up. The story Blink features the character mm -hmm. Sally Sparrow. Sally mm -hmm. Sparrow got her origins in one of the very first annuals produced for the new series. If I'm remembering correctly, it may have been the very first one. I don't really expect to see any of these characters again in our adventures. I hope not. I really... You mean Schizos I mean, isn't going to come back? Going antennae was fun. Yeah. We just spoke right over each other. Sorry. That's no, I'm right. sorry. It's my hormones. I, I can't. I don't even know oh what I'm God, doing. You're out of control. I, that's all right. Yes. I'll separate I'm so you. sorry. I'll never do anything or say anything again. Maybe that will make it better. <laughs> well, just as long as you get rid of that sponge, that's all we ask of you. I yeah. actually didn't hear what you said, Dalton. I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. I was just, I don't even remember. Uh, Tony said he could separate it. So. I can. It's fine. <laughs> anyway. Well. Thank you, guys. <laughs> thank you. This has been fun. <laughs> yes. And thank you, fellow time travelers, for giving us your valuable time, especially since it was such a waste of your valuable time this time. Next time, we start the new year off right with our discussion of Terrence Dick's novelization of The Pyramids of Mars. Ooh. 
Yes. In the meantime, if you've liked what you've heard here, like us on Facebook at Dr. Who Target Book Club Podcast, all on word with those spaces. Also, feel free to follow us on Twitter. We're at EWTargetBC, or subscribe to us via the podcast provider of your choice, including Spotify. If all else fails you, and it inevitably will, because it is 2020 after all, email me directly at EmperorDalek at gmail.com and Target Book Club in the subject line so I don't forget it. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, happy holidays, and enjoy your travels. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.